1: I'm Tom Clark and welcome to this special edition of The Prospect Interview. Which is also a special edition of the Better Human Podcast with me, Adam
2: Wagner. Because we're doing a bit of an experiment this time. So you get the first half of the chat on our prospect feed. And the second half by tuning into the Better Human Podcast. Whichever podcast you're... Hooked onto them, we're trying to encourage you to subscribe to the other. One reason for this two-podcast crossover is that in Prospect, we're doing quite a bit at the moment on the law and human rights, which Better Human also covers. But a bit more specifically in our new issue, Just Out, we've written a cover story on the threat facing Britain's courts. We all saw last autumn how central the law had become to politics when Lady Hale and the Supreme Court wrapped Boris Johnson over the knuckles for seeking to suspend Parliament. But now he's back with a mandate, and myself and Alex Dean, Prospect's commissioning editor who's spoken to all sorts of top judges for the piece, explain how three things – judicial review, the EU and human rights law – have all drawn the judges further into politics. But with Brexit – and various schemes lurking in the Conservative Manifesto, we
1: argue that they are now vulnerable on all three fronts. And we'll be coming back to the threats relating to human rights and judicial review in the second half of the chat on the Better Human podcast.
2: But first, here at the Prospect interview, we're going to be talking about the
1: threat to judicial independence. And we're delighted to be joined on the line by Martha Spurrier, who's the Director of Liberty, Tessa Gregory, who is a partner at Lee Day Co. Solicitors, And then also here in the studio by Charlie Faulkner, who, as a
2: member of Tony Blair's government, drove through the Constitutional Reform Act, which was meant to enshrine judicial independence forever. How is that looking, Charlie? Are you worried about your legacy now?
3: I am worried about my legacy. I think that the Constitutional Reform Act did things that cemented judicial independence and the rule of law by taking away from the Lord Chancellor, who's a political appointment, the power to appoint all the judges, stopped the Lord Chancellor being the head of the judiciary and made an independent judge the head of the judiciary in England and Wales, and moved the final court of appeal in the United Kingdom from an obscure committee room in the House of Lords to the Supreme Court and its building across the square in Parliament Square. And the purpose of all of these three reforms was to define and make clear that the judiciary were completely separate from the executive and the legislature, and to prevent the politicians from interfering in how the courts did their work or who was appointed judges.
2: And um, that was what you were trying to do. Why is it you're worried then?
3: Because after the prorogation case was decided in September, the response of the government in particular... Boris Johnson, the prime minister, and Geoffrey Cox, the attorney general, was to say the judges got the prorogation case wrong. And the argument that they both then ran was the judges have become too political, not in the sense of party political, but in the sense that they've gone into areas that should be left to the politicians. And they then then began to speculate about what steps should be taken to ensure that judges knew their place, their place being not to stray too much, as Geoffrey Cox and Boris Johnson would see it, into the role of decisions that should be made by the politicians and not by the judges. And this line of thought has now advanced, and you can see it, in something called the Judicial Power Project, which is being run by the Policy Exchange, where there is speculation about how you make sure that judges don't become too engaged in politics, that they're not too activist. And what uh, a very distinguished professor at Oxford called Professor Eakins is saying is that the way to deal with that is you ensure that before you appoint anybody a very senior judge, the Lord Chief Justice, for example, or the Supreme Court Justice, you make sure that he's not been too, inv- or she's not been too, quote, activist. And I assume that what that means is you look at his or her previous judgments to see whether or not he or her properly understands, in the eyes of Professor Eakins, the role of the judge and the role of the politicians. It's absolutely appalling.
2: Um. I'm the only non-lawyer in this discussion. Why, Adam, in the first instance, is it so appalling that we should have someone who's got a political eye, a sense for where the great majority of the voters are, having some sort of a say on what kind of person becomes a judge? Do you really want just a
1: priesthood of judges deciding who else gets to join the priesthood? I'm not sure it's wrong to say there should be no um, political say in judicial appointments because I mean at the moment the Lord Chancellor has, has some limited role um, although and I, I think it's right to say the Lord Chancellor has in theory a veto on the on the on the initial shortlist of judges is that is you that right? You can
3: veto w- the senior appointment once or send it back. If they come back either with the same name or a different name, he's got to accept it.
1: Yes, yeah, so it's a bit like the Lords' um, role in, in legislation that they can kind of they can delay, but they can't. Um, well, the Lords can
3: delay forever until the Parliament Act is used. the The Judicial Appointments Commission can ultimately force an appointment on the Lord Chancellor.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've probably got a a slightly um, controversial view in the legal community on this because I think there is something to be said for the fact that, I, I don't think it's wrong to say that gi- judges are getting involved in more political decisions. Um, I don't think, I think the human right, I think it, to an extent we have to grapple with the reality of the human rights act. the rise of judicial review, it would have been European Union law, although now that's um, that's that's a different issue. And I think that there is, we, we do need to look carefully at how judges are appointed to make sure that, well, for, for, from my perspective, in in the legal system itself, it seems it's pretty opaque how judges are appoint, appointed. But what we have to be extremely careful of is the exe- and the executive coming along and saying it's time to that we had more say in judicial appointments because we want more judges that agree with us. Um, and th- that's that's the real risk. Um, it's that any kind of when any kind of reform to judicial appointments has to be. Independent has to be with the rule of law in mind and, and the separation of powers in mind. Not um, in the context of well, let's just bring in more government-friendly judges. I'm not sure we need more government-friendly um, judges. And looking at Tessa yeah. a- acro- across across the room, I, d- I don't. I think if you're a um, claimant-focused human rights judicial review lawyer, you wouldn't say yes. What we really, what's really missing is those government-friendly judges. It seems pretty heavily weighted at the moment anyway.
4: Yeah, I think that's certainly right. And I'd be all for more transparency regarding judicial appointments, but um, would want to resist any politicisation. And you've got to see that the role of the judge is to um, answer legal questions, but they might be within a political context and they will have political ramifications. Um, But the question they're answering is a legal question, and you want that to be entirely separate from their political bias or thoughts. Now, judges are people, and obviously the decisions they make will be informed by their political views. But we don't want to be filling the benches with uh, people who have particular Uh, of a particular political persuasion. And so you're not getting fair judicial decision-making.
2: What do you think, Martha? Do you think it's possible to appoint judges just on merit so that their own biases and so on don't come into it?
0: I think there's, there's pretty good scholarship now on meritocracy being a myth and activism is very much in the eye of the beholder. One of the things I'm concerned about is not just the idea that the executive get to appoint judges who act in favour of the government, obviously that's a worry, but also, more broadly, that you might see people being deemed as activists, perhaps because they're the kind of lawyers that in their practising lives have specialised in bringing cases against the government, that then that puts them in the activist box and therefore out of selection as being judges. Not only does that mean you won't get their perspectives, but also we know that those kinds of lawyers are more likely to be women, they're more likely to be from ethnic minority backgrounds, they're more likely to have a diverse range of experiences. One of the problems with our judiciary right now is that they are drawn by and large from a very narrow section of people. And so when they are hearing very human cases, and human rights cases and judicial review cases often are very human, very human problems, they may really lack the perspective, the diversity of thought and experience and the human empathy to decide those cases fairly.
2: If we went down a more American route, Charlie, how do you think it would play out?
3: Badly. I mean, I I completely understand Martha's point about the meritocracy is a myth in the sense that it 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 tends to favor as it were the existing judges because they play a very important part in looking to see what kind of people they would think were okay which has a which has a limiting effect on diversity and we that needs to be addressed all the time because I think the appointment of judges has been done in a way that has not dealt with the diversity. But we're dealing with a slightly separate issue here, which is if you have a situation where the politician has more say and is able legitimately to take into account how, for example, the person you might be considering to go to the Supreme Court or to become the Lord Chief Justice has decided cases as a judge, then you have... Judges deciding cases in a way that pleases the politicians. To get the promotion. To get the promotion. And what we've had, in my experience, as both a lawyer and as Lord Chancellor, is the judges playing to the other judges, not playing to the politicians. Mm. And the moment you get the uh, judges playing to the politicians, then you're absolutely finished in terms of judicial independence because then I become Lord Chief Justice by making sure that I cause no trouble on prorogation because I know that the Lord Chancellor's got to make a decision between me and two others because, mm. the, uh, because um, uh, uh, Professor Eakins is saying the Lord Chancellor should be uh, given three names for these senior appointments so that he can then decide as to who is the So I I I understand what Martha is saying. I understand what Adam is saying. I'm appalled that they're willing to entertain the idea of politicians scrutinizing previous decisions by the judges as a legitimate tool to determine whether or not the politician says yay or nay. It would have an incredibly detrimental effect on the standing of our judges and their independence
0: just to be absolutely clear I absolutely agree that any political interference in the judicial appointment process is a dangerous one, and it's a dangerous one for accountability and for everyone in this country. Um, I was simply saying that not only will you get judges playing to the political gallery, but you will also then have a knock-on effect of the political class, who are not a diverse group of people, appointing judges who not only agree with them, but also look and sound like them too, so you have a a double negative effect.
4: Yeah, I mean, giving giving the executive a role in choosing judges is going to undermine the rule of law in that it's going to affect judges keeping the executive in check. I mean, anyone who watched Brett Kavanaugh
2: being nominated yeah. over in America probably thinks a lot of heavy political involvement in uh, in this is not too clever.
1: I'd have thought. Yeah, I mean that was that was a grotesque example. I, I would say of of the of the kind of pit that you can get into when you have judicial when judiciary become wholly politicized but i think one one of the one of the risks is just saying it's either what we've got or what the americans have got and i don't think i don't think the serious legal scholars are suggesting we move straight to america i think there are ways of Look, there are ways of appointing judges that are. I mean, for example, in the last ten years, the thanks in part, or the last fifteen years, thanks in part to the constitutional reforms, we've gone from a tap on the shoulder, which was a totally opaque, to at least a system which is open selection, as in you actually get to apply to be a judge, and then there is a there is a criteria. And and, and, that, and, there, and there are some people we should say who aren't judges on the appointments commission. Yeah, and, and and that's and that's or a the hu- chair
3: of the commissions. Are non-lawyers,
1: but that—that's a huge difference, and that—and that—I and that say—is a positive, and I think that goes. That's what really what, what what Both Martha and I were getting at is that there is a certain kind of openness that you need to ensure that the that the gene pool, if you put it like that, of judi- the judiciary is not is not just they don't just re- replicate themselves. I agree. Yeah, with that. and, I agree and that's why we've got three women on the Supreme Court now. That it, it it can only be because of that, and 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 you get and there's many more ethnic minority judges, although it's still. A, a still a small proportion compared to the the um, the, the country, and I, and I think there's a bigger question there in a way about how the judiciary, if it's going to appoint themselves, if they're going to appoint themselves or roughly appoint themselves, ensure that there's a genuine diversity of small p political opinions. And, and, and I think, as a po- not Tory or Labour or Conservative or Liberal, but, you know, are, are they Jonathan Sumption types or are they Lady Hale types? And I think that that is a really interesting, substantive well, question.
3: Well, I mean, if the moment you start say you're a Lady Hale type or are you a Jonathan Sumption type, then you're getting quite close to the idea that we want, we're going to appoint a small L Liberal this time and a small C Conservative next time. And by and large... The appointment of judges has avoided that. So we would be perfectly happy to appoint Stephen Sedley uh, and then immediately follow that up with Ralph Gibson, two quite activist left-wing figures on the basis that they were judged to be of the highest possible standard and could get there. And once you'd appointed Stephen, absolutely no sense. You couldn't appoint Ralph until you'd appointed four more small-c conservatives. So I, I would be against strongly the idea of making any sort of small P political judgment of the sort that you're sort of playing with there. OK,
2: so you, you, you're quite solid on that, Charlie. But like before we wrap this bit up and move on to the other podcast and the, and, and the questions around judicial review and um, human rights, how worried are you on exactly this Front. You know that we've got um this Professor Richard Eakins um and others at Policy Exchange pushing this idea that there should be more vetoes and that the um you know it should revert to the politicians to pick from shortlists and do this kind of balancing. I don't think that's explicitly floated in the Conservative manifesto from memory. Are it's they gonna try this bit or not, do you reckon?
3: I think they will. And I think I think uh, the effect of the whole Brexit litigation, in particular the prorogation litigation, but also the Gina Miller litigation before that, has, will, will provide some some political oomph for that, in the sense that one of the things that uh, Boris Johnson has made his name on is being serious about Brexit, and he'll get support from all these new Tory MPs. So I'm very, very worried about it.
2: Right. Let's leave that discussion on the judges there and let's leave the prospect interview there because if you want to keep um, listening and to what we've got to say about human rights and uh, judicial review, you need to retune, as it were, to the Better Human podcast.